You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get? If I run ads for you, what are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to adameve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in darkpod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to adameve.com and take advantage of it right now. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. You're listening to Disability After Dark. The podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with your host, disability awareness consultant, Drew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your disabled dick smith, Daddy Drew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, everybody.
First thing I want to say, holy wow, we are on episode 230 of our official episodes. That is amazing. I never thought we would get to that place. Thank you so much for sticking around. And thank you to all of you who have written in wanting to be guests. I'm working on getting back to you. I'm sorry that it's taking me longer than usual. It's just me doing it here. And we're kind of going through a worldwide pandemic. So I will get back to you. You will be guests. I promise we will do shows like Palsy and the Pandemic. And we will do shows. We will do different things on on this feed. They are all coming. They're, I'm just taking a while to get back to you because I'm running this by myself. So if any of you are listening and you want to volunteer your time to help me book guests and do things like that, I'd love some help with this because... I am falling behind doing it on my own, and I'd love some help. If you're, if anyone's out there who wants to volunteer, like couple, a couple emails a week to get people going and and to really work with me on this, I'd appreciate that. So, you can send me an email at disabilityafterdark@gmail.com and let me know you'd like to volunteer as part of the team. I can't pay you right now. I'll be right, really upfront about that because the show's not making a ton, but I would love to offer anyone a volunteer position to work on this show with me and book guests and that and, and help me be more on track with actually getting these recordings done. But, um, yeah, so, so don't worry. I will get back to you and we will have more guests. Thanks, everybody. But now let's get to the show. Actually, before the show, we're going to do our shout-outs for the people that pledge they're hard-earned dollars to keep the show going. And today, I want to pledge to Jera Pettibone, who pledged $5 a month to keep the, the lights shining on this show and to keep a bright light shining on Disability Stories. Thank you, Jera Pettibone. It means more to me than you know. That was a horrible pun, but thank you, Jera Pettibone. For your support. If you want to pledge to the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disability after dark. And you can pledge as little as $1 a month up to $5 a month or more. Or you can also pledge now a yearly amount if that works for you. So pledge if you can, but also tell your friends and review the show and uh, do whatever you can to get the word out about the show because that also helps too. But now, on to the show. On the episode today, I sit down with my new friend, Ali Paul, who is a disability activist out of Montreal, Canada. And we sit down and talk today about her experiences being somebody with um, limb girdle muscular dystrophy and her experiences getting that diagnosis very young and what that was like for her. We also talk about her experiences being a black disabled person and how disability interplays with race for her, as well as some of the misogyny and ableism she experiences being just a woman with disabilities and how so much of what women are asked to do around the home as partners is rooted in ableism. So we go into a lot of different spaces here with Ali, and it was a really fun hour-long conversation that I was excited to have with her about disability. I'm really proud to also put this out and talk to a, a 
black disabled person during Black History Month. I think that's important because we don't hear from those populations enough. So really excited for this conversation and excited for you to hear it. Without further ado, here is my interview with Ali Pauld right now on Disability After Dark. Ali Paul, hello. Hi. Hi, it's such a pleasure to have you on Disability After Dark today. How are you? I'm so, so good. How are you? I'm really, really great. And I'm so happy <laughs> to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here. I, You just randomly popped up in my email box one day and you're like, I love your show. I love what you do. Can I come on? And I was like, cool. And then I read a little bit about your story after you send in your questionnaire. And there's so much here that I want to talk to you about today. So that we've a lot to go through. But can you... Can you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so hi, my name is Ali. I'm 22, 23 as of two days ago. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, happy birthday. Happy <laughs> birthday. Yay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I still need to be sure to make the change now. So yeah, I'm a 23-year-old uh, sociology and sexuality student. Uh, I live in Montreal. And yeah, I became disabled about five or six years ago. Um, so this is kind of still really new to me to a certain extent, but uh, activism work um, is even more recent, I would say, only about like a year ago. So yeah, um, I'm so happy to be here. I think um, this is an experience that we never talk about. And that's definitely one of the things that were really difficult for me coming in with my diagnosis, the fact that it felt like I was the only one in the world, um, which is the main reason why I'm doing this. And I want to shed more light to disability experiences and narratives because I think there's not enough out there for everybody to feel represented. Yeah, there, there definitely isn't. And I, and I think, you know, also just so the audience is clear, you are a Black woman with disabilities, right? I am, so I am. I think that's, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you is because this population, disability is so, so, and I speak from this place, so, so, so white. And so when mm -hmm. I, the minute you said I want to talk about being a black woman with disabilities, I was like, yep, sure, come take the whole hour because like <laughs> it's something, it's a part of the population around disability that we don't explore enough and we don't give enough light to. And so I was just so excited to talk to you because I was like, I want other people to see that disability doesn't just affect, you know, white men, it affects everybody and it needs to be talked about more. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think those two intersections specifically are um, are really relevant and almost literally contradicted each other in a way. Um, literally, obviously not, but in the heads of a lot of people. So, yeah, I do. I do think um, it is an important perspective to talk about as well. And which is why also I want to do this so much. I'm so, so glad. So. <laughs> We know you're awesome. We know you're disabled. We know you have a ton of intersections. Can you kind of tell me um, my the first question that I wrote out, but you kind of we kind of talked about it already. But what what are your disabilities and how do they impact your day today? Yeah, so I have limb girdle, limb girdle muscular dystrophy, which is a type of muscular dystrophy. Um, there's also another umbrella that is called SMA um, that has its own symptoms on its own, but yeah, I would say on the daily, on the daily, um, my life is not that difficult just because I have learned to adapt my space. Um, 
in a certain way. Um, but most of my problems, I guess, uh, most of my issues really become more important when I have to go out into the world. And I do think it's very important to bring that up um, because most of my issues are not because of my body. They're because the world is literally built against people like me. Um, I am, you know, mostly independent when it comes to showering, eating, um, getting dressed and all of that stuff. Jealous, it, jealous, jealous. <laughs> I can't do any of that. Of my own. Oh, I mean, no, but like, that's the thing, right? I think a lot of people think that um, there's only one way of being disabled and that's why everything in outside is so inaccessible is because people are like, oh, if you have a disability, it means you quote unquote can't do anything. And so we're not even going to bother to do any of those things, Yeah, which is so ridiculous because even if you can't shower on your, on your own, that doesn't mean you don't want to go to the store. That doesn't mean you don't want to go to the cinema. Like yeah. it literally makes no sense in from all sides, but especially in my case, it also makes no sense because I could do all of these things and most people can do all of these things even disabled people um who are more heavily disabled but we just are cut access to everything else um so so if if you can describe because i never heard of limb girdle muscular dystrophy until you Mm. said it until you mentioned i I had no idea what it was right which shows you that not all disabled people know everything about disabilities yeah yeah but but i didn't know what it was but um can you describe like how it affects Mm. you yeah, so it is a neuromuscular illness. Um, the way that I like to explain it is that um, for the people who are able-bodied and go to the gym, if you don't go to the gym after like a couple months, you're probably going to be sore for a few days because your body's like, oh my God, what are you doing? I'm not used to having to do all of this. And yeah. you know, the soreness can last like two or three days, even sometimes like a week, but then it goes away because your body gets to recuperate from the exercise that it did. Your body um, kind of makes up uh, all of that protein that is necessary for muscle repair, and then it goes away. For me, um, and the whole point about working out every day and why like professional athletes are not sore after going to the gym is because these people like work out six days a week, right? Their bodies are used to pro- producing that protein enough. In my case, my body just cannot do that. Um, it cannot. Pr- it produces a little bit, but not enough at all for it to make up for it, which is why um, it isn't a progressive illness is because on the long term, my body produces less and less to the point where just walking to the bathroom is difficult um, and gets more difficult with time. Um, And then you have, depending on the type and everything, there's people who just basically don't produce anything. And so as babies, they never get to learn how to walk. Um, But in my case, the symptoms started to point to show when I was 12. And yeah, now I'm 23, so it's been like about a decade. Um, and I definitely see it way more. But on the daily, I would say stairs. I don't like those a lot. Um, not at all, actually. <laughs> not fun. Um, huge steps to get in anywhere for no reason at all. Don't like that. Um, don't like ice. Don't like the wind uh, because I have really bad balance. Um, and if I fall, I can't stand up on my own. I have to, you know, have someone pick me up from the floor, (laughs) which, you know, uh, gets to be an issue. Um, So yeah, I would say, usually, like, I've, when it comes to my space, I found a way to um, make it fit my needs. But the world is not like that at all. So it it is an issue. And you know, you live in Montreal, and Montreal's a very old city. And Montreal has a ton of fucking stairs. I, I, I used to live 
in Ottawa, Canada, which was only a couple hours away. And I used to go sometimes with friends for weekends to like Montreal. And I'd be like, this is, I love this city, but holy shit, you're the it's most horrible city. It's so bad for the It's facility. horrible. It's like so I have horrible. not traveled a lot, right? But I am so confident saying that I'm sure Montreal is one of the least accessible cities in North America. Like it's actually disgusting. There yeah. are stairs Everywhere, everywhere, because everywhere. they want to, they want to preserve the old architecture, old which is, yeah, which is nice, and that's great. But like, we got to have to do better. Like, I haven't been yeah. there for, I want to say, almost a decade now. But the last time I was there, I remember wanting to get a cab from one place to one place, and it was an impossible journey to be like, how do I, how do I, how do I do this? And they were like, oh, well, we only have a certain number of cabs, and I was like, but you have more disabled people in your city then too like you need to what are you doing so like I and I also found that the no offense to any French listeners but I, I found that the Quebecois like people discussing disability they they don't care they're, they're just like whatever yeah. <laughs> I mean there's basically no conversation happening at all in French here which is very unfortunate because when you don't talk about things how do you want things to change Spoiler, yeah. they'll never change that. That's what, exactly what happens. Yeah. Nothing changes. And also I found that there has been a lot of conversations that are being had in link to like the environment um, that on paper sound really great, but they're really just really ableist um, and they don't take into consideration so many disabled people. So yeah, it's, 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 it's very bad. It's not great here. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful city, but I think we need to move into 2021 and make sure that people can access things and like i know i can't remember what the name of the group is but i know there's like disability activism groups in montreal who are so angry all the time because every time they turn around montreal is like oh or quebec is like sorry like nobody whatever like nope can't help you yeah it's 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 so bad like there's the the bar is always in hell like it's so deep into the floor (laughs) <laughs> and there's nothing to do about it. So it's, I mean, there are things to do about it, but nobody's doing them. So yeah. or, nobody it's, it's very know, or nobody like knows what to do or is like yeah. willing to talk to a disabled person to figure out what to do. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, so you mentioned kind of, you kind of, you kind of mentioned that a lot of your disabilities are invisible and come with a certain level of privilege. Um, what do you, what, like, what do you mean by that? And can you share how you feel about that level of privilege? Like, Obviously, everybody, whether we're disabled or not, we have privilege. But what does that look like for you? I would say that um, right now it has become a little less um, visible. But a lot of people don't know. Like, if you see me down the street, maybe you wouldn't, you know, expect me to, you know, to be disabled. Um, And so, of course, that comes with privilege because then people are not um, straightforwardly ableist with me because they don't know. Um, which is a privilege in itself, though I also have to go through the whole thing of like coming out to someone um, when it comes to my disability. Um, Sometimes in moments I'm not really comfortable doing that, but I kind of have no chance. Like I have to lie about things and, you know, people don't like to lie. Um, I certainly do not. Um, So it's, it puts you in a really uncomfortable situation, but also the privileges that is, you know, to be really honest, like I've had experiences with people, I've had sexual encounters with people who most probably wouldn't have given me a chance if they had known before. Um, which is which is a whole conversation about why did yeah, I want to be with this yeah, people in the first whole, place? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's 
it's kind of, you know, this thing of like, in a, in a way it is a privilege, but at the same time, it's like, it also puts you in different circumstances um, that you could have not been in if you had just been honest on, you know, from the start, but then being honest from the start is difficult. So yeah, there's a whole, it's a whole, yeah. there are so many layers of like, yeah. And I remember being your age. I'm old now. I'm an old person now, but I remember being your age and, and, and remembering how and being really excited by that privilege of like, well, they know I'm disabled, but they don't know what they don't know. Like they, my, my disability is different, but, but it's like they, they knew I was disabled, but they didn't know the extent of how much mm-hmm. I needed help. And so I could hide certain things from them so that yeah. it wouldn't freak them out. And so they'd still want to fuck me or something. So I remember like feeling really excited by that privilege. Of course, now as I get older, I'm like, oh, fuck the privilege. I'm going to tell you yeah. the truth. Like, here's who I am. Here's what it is. If you can't deal with it, then you shouldn't hang around. Like, like, yeah. but I can imagine for you encompassing the all of the different identities you do that privilege has probably been, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm guessing it's been a protective thing for you so that if you hide your disability, you won't be as vulnerable? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's, especially in a situation where, you know, like, so also like basically my, my disability is that I'm very physically weak, you know, which is why it's hard for me to go up the stairs because the leg, the muscles in my legs are very weak. You know, yeah. I'm not the person that you call to move your couch you know, because I can't, my arms are also very weak. So um, obviously telling that to somebody and, you know, especially in a context where, you know, I date men, telling a a man that, you know, like a 12 year old little boy could basically kill me if he tried, which is the case, you know, like I play fight with my little brother all the time. And like, I have to tell him like, we can't play like that anymore, you know, because you're 12 and you're, too strong for me. So telling a guy who's like 25 that could put me in a very, very, very dangerous situation. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so yeah, it's like, it has been definitely like a protective mechanism in, in some ways, but also just my self-esteem being like, oh, if they know, they won't think I'm pretty enough or they won't think I'm cool enough or they won't want me to give me the time of day essentially. Or, you know, um, I'm also thinking about like, again, again, they might not have have sex with you the way you want because they're gonna think, oh, she's too weak. I can't do this. Like we can't mm-hmm. do this. So I'm, yeah. I can't. Yeah. So like I can imagine that's frustrating. And also like going back to the thing you said about, about dangerous situations. Like men are gross. <laughs> I know. I know because I am one. We're gross. Um, <laughs> and like so, you know, you don't want to say that because then somebody who's gross might think, good, I can take advantage of this person now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And. I think in the sexual way also, it's kind of like, I do definitely feel like it intersect with race because I've definitely been in situations where like uh, I was, you know, entertaining someone who isn't black and they had all these ideas about me and who I was supposed to be in the bedroom. Um, and I mean, not to like spill the beans on myself like that, but you know, I'm, I'm not, an aggra- sexually aggressive person, you know, I'm not a sexually dominant person. Uh, and people have expected that of me. And then I'm like, yeah, you know what, that's not really my vibe, actually, uh, because it's just not my vibe. But also because I, spoiler alert, again, I can't throw a, a man across the room, like I can't physically. And mm, then I see, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like, people become like, I guess, disappointed of that. 
people are like, wait, what do you mean you can't perform that sexual fetish and that sexual um, stereotype that I had in my mind about black women? What do you mean you can't be that for me? And then of course I don't, I don't fit the box anymore and I'm not a good enough of a sexual partner anymore because I don't fit that mold that really truly does not fit a lot of black women period no it's so wrapped up in racism and ableism Mm -hmm. and like all the isms like it's so it's so gross and like the the fact that and I of course we like I know that men have had these feelings and people have thought this way but I don't think I've ever heard somebody actually say those words to me so I feel super gross for any dude that saw that and said that you know I'm so sorry that that's ever happened to you like gross yeah I mean some often it's just like we're talking or whatever and then they express what they really want and I'm like I don't know why but I feel like you don't ask that you don't say that to all the girls that you're with yeah and it's just a feeling and like I just know that I'm right like they wouldn't (laughs) necessarily say to a white girl can you throw me across the room yeah like like you wouldn't do like I know you wouldn't do that you know what I mean yeah it's like of course I can't know a hundred percent for sure that it's because of that but I will say that I'm like 95 percent sure it's because of that and then I'm just put in a weird like position right where I'm kind of like oh well what do we do now you know like do you want to still do this or you know like and it's but also it just puts me in an uncomfortable situation because I just like of course it affects my self-esteem and stuff and it's like I'm not sure if this is even going to work and whatever so yeah it's like it's it's a really it's a weird thing that's why I think it's a really weird combination to have because um these two things kind of yeah contradict each other um and kind of make no sense but it's like I'm a real person who has to live with that so find a way yeah, to make it work so like yeah find a way to make it work or get or get the fuck out like yeah yeah essentially I'm a person and like I I am black and I'm disabled and I'm a woman so like you're gonna have to you're gonna either have to deal with those things or yeah. we get it out and I think I think it's you know I remember being a 25 year old kid and like <laughs> and I remember being like a dumb boy at 25 so I can imagine I'm a dumb boy now sometimes so I can imagine like you know just the silly things people have said to you and you having to be there be like oh great this mm-hmm. is this is the population of men that I have to deal with right now great awesome <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's just or like people being like you know like we're sexting or whatever and people being like so enthusiastic uh, so enthusiastic about like wanting me to be dominant and aggressive with them and I'm like where does that come from like I we're barely talking about anything why is that the first impulse that you get and again I don't think you would get that impression if I wasn't black and I do also want to point out that some of those things have been said to me by like non-black women as well because I've dated women in the past too and it's like so yeah, of course, like boys are dumb, uh, <laughs> but I think at the end of the, of the day, it also comes down to just racial stereotypes and those can affect everybody, you know, like white women, yeah. but also like Asian non-binary people, you know, like people who just have these stereotypes in their mind. And I get that it does not come necessarily from a bad place in the sense that like these people were genuinely attracted to me and they did think I was nice and stuff but they still had these ideas about who they wanted me to be and if I didn't perform that 
than I was last then. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's that's such a common thread in any kind of ism, like mm-hmm. whether we're talking about race or disability or all of that together, like mm-hmm. we're so much of what we do is performative for others, even if we really, if we, even if we don't realize we're doing it. And so like, is there a space when you're being like disabled and black where you feel like where both those identities are respected and loved and cared for or nurtured? Is there a space where you feel you can be that person? I mean, I would say with like my close friends, you know, like people who have known me even before I got my diagnosis, people who loved me before that and who were just like, well, you're still the same person to us. You know, we're still going to love you like that. Um, But I would say also like um, very recently, actually, I became um, a burlesque performer (laughs) and I joined a burlesque troupe, which um, is honestly one of the greatest thing that happened to me in the since the beginning of the year, but also in a long time. And you know, my friend who I met in school a few, about like a year ago, um, had talked to me about it and everything. And um, she didn't know that I was disabled at the time, um, but she was just like, oh my God, you're so pretty, like become a performer with me. <laughs> and I was like, ah, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't have the time. But really yeah. it was just like, I'm disabled. I can't do anything, you know? Um, but then she started her own project and she really, really encouraged me because she really wanted me on her team and then she knew that I was disabled by that by then but she was just so like interested in having me part of this and stuff and it did feel very um like very safe first of all because it was through zoom so I was like alone in my place and it was pre-recorded and I knew that the people who were going to be in the audience uh were probably going to be way more open-minded than most of the people outside um yeah so yeah, I would say that definitely felt so much safer. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was just such a great time. <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, you're so like, I have been disabled since birth. And like, that's language that I've been using since I was like, oh, since I was like 10, 11. Um, but like for you, being so just kind of coming into this diagnosis a few years ago, I noticed as we're talking, you use the term disabled so freely. And so like, confidently and it's something that you it sounds like you are really like owning that language for yourself how did it feel kind of coming into that I mean not you know to be really really honest it's definitely something that I've become more uh comfortable like the term disabled is something that I've come to say more freely only like about a year ago and when speaking French about months ago I would say it would still be kind of you know, kind of oh, uncomfortable when people would use it in French to talk about me. Because um, French is handicapped, right? Right, yeah. Um, which is stupid because yeah, that's it means the, the same thing. Yeah, it's not yeah. the language that we use anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, that's the thing. Like in English, people don't use the word handicapped really. But in yeah. French, that's the only word we have. Um, but I think also it's just, it's the stigma around, stigma around it, right? And um, the fact that I've literally never heard anyone talk about a disabled people in French in a positive way, right? That's never something that I've came across. Even and when so, they say handicapé, it's never in your yeah. sense, it's never positive. It's always negative. Yeah, but it's also because there's no French activism around disabled people. Um, we are never included in any type of conversations. Um, like it's just there's literally like I can't even say much about it it's just empty there's just nothing so there's literally nothing Um, to talk about do you know like 
I'm rusty in my French. Do you like have, do you have a preferred term? Like if you were to make up a term in French right now to describe disability, what, what would you say? I mean, I guess I would just say handicapé just because that's the word. And I think yeah. a lot of that is just comes with um, taking the stigma out of the word and being okay with just talking about yourself the way that you are, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I think the word disabled, I definitely become, became more comfortable using it just because that's who I am. You know what I mean? And even if I was to kind of twirl around it or whatever and trying to not really say it because of whatever reasons, it still wouldn't change the fact that I'm disabled and it wouldn't change the fact that I have to go through shit every day should that suck really bad because I'm disabled and nobody wants to help me. You know what I mean? That's a, that's like that. That's a really, that's such a pure thing you said, but it's so hard to hear because like we go through that. Like, it is true. We go through that shit all the time and nobody, yeah. nobody knows and nobody wants to, and everybody's afraid. And it's like, really, it's so hard to hear that because mm-hmm. it's so real. And it's like, you, you cut straight to the bone there. <laughs> like, well, really- yeah, because it's, it's true. And I think, we need to own these words. And of course, I don't want to push that into anyone, obviously, but we need to just come to terms with who we are. Because if we don't, how do you expect able-bodied people to even care about us, right? How do you want able-bodied people to create laws to respect disabled people if we're not even ever going to use the word disabled? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, you know, in my experience with French people from Quebec, which is very brief and limited, um, although in college I slept with a few, it was super fun times. Um, <laughs> but, but I remember them, you know, when they would say handicapé, they'd say, oh, handicapé, like it was the saddest thing you've ever heard in your life. And they're, mm-hmm. they're... Um, I mean, it's used as an insult. Like able-bodied people call each other that to say that they're... Oh, say someone no! Is, yeah, to say that someone is ugly or stupid or oh. like some, if something doesn't work pr- properly, they'll say that you know, it's handicapé or whatever, like talking about an object that's, you know, like... Like it's yeah. broken. Like yeah, it's like, exactly. Wow, French people fix your... No, <laughs> no, no, no. Again, it's also because there's no conversation around that at all. There's no conversation around disabled people and disabled rights. And there's no conversations about how we literally constantly are suffering more than everybody else. Like we're always left out of every single conversation that is being had on anything at all. So how do you expect people to not come to term with, not come to the the moment where they will use words like that negatively? And like, you know, in English, we have euphemisms. Like we can say, you could say, not that I like these words, but you could say differently abled. You could mm-hmm. say, you know, what, what else could you say? You could say like person with a disability. Like in, in English, we have different euphemisms you can use right. to say disability. What, in French, if the only word you have is handicapé and they're using it to like make a joke, that's mm-hmm. really, that's going to be hard. Yeah. You know, and it's also that because there is no, there are no conversations being had about that, you know, like it's when it's so far down the road where people are literally using that term as an insult, how, how do you expect laws to be put in place to protect those people? It's, it's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's And it's really, really sad to, to see that because there are real life disabled people who are hurting right now, who are suffering, yeah. who 
who are poor, yeah. who don't have access to anything. And the conversation is not only, you know, not moving, it has never started to move. It has, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and it feel like the last time I was in Montreal, it felt like, like I was saying, the cab story, getting the cab to go to wherever I was going. I remember feeling like such an afterthought because they were like, oh, I guess we can get you a bus or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like, mm. you you can and you will. And they were so, and this old French man got me in this cab and he was so, so like old and French. He was so annoyed that he had to do it. And I just, I didn't care. I was like, uh-huh, keep going. Like, drive me to wherever I have to go. And he did it and it was fine. But I just remember being like, I just want to get from A to B. And then my friend and I wanted to go to, we wanted to go to, chinatown to go have food um and it was so inaccessible yeah so, chinatown's like so appeal to yeah it was it was just ridiculous but be like what i have money and i want to pay to be in your establishment make it accessible yeah yeah it's 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 literally ridiculous like and at this point i'm kind of like i don't know how this is even going to move start moving because we're so far behind it's it's actually kind of really sad but yeah, it definitely is. I want to shift a little bit because I want, I would love for you to talk with me about, about what well, we sort of did already, but I want to talk to you a little bit more about dating as a disabled woman. Mm-hmm. And in the questionnaire that you sent to me, you said that so much of what is placed on women in terms of looks, housework, and domestic responsibilities is super ableist. Mm-hmm. And the more and more I read that from you, I was like, Oh, wow. She's totally right. I want her to talk more about it. So can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely um, started to think about that for a while, but it became so much more concrete, uh, specifically after a conversation that I had with um, an older man, I guess, uh, during the holidays. And I kind of said that I, for example, like I know a lot of older men who are, you know, able-bodied and everything, and they could cook, they could learn how to cook but they never did and they never will because they think it's a woman's job. And personally, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, I do. Right? You. <laughs> you know, and I was arguing with him because I was like, because he was, I mean, not calling me hypocritical, but kind of, because then I said, being disabled, I can't clean a house from top to bottom, top to bottom. three, three times a week, you know? Yeah. Like, I can't physically do that. And he was like, oh, but you want a man who can cook, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, to me, like, personally, I love to cook and I'm a great cook, right? So I don't mind doing that. It's just the principle of, like, there are so many grown men out here who have never even made a sandwich for themselves because they think it's a woman's job to do. But I would be a bad wife and I would be a bad woman or a bad mother for not being able to do the honestly very often unrealistic tasks that come with uh housekeeping and domestic task or whatever of like cleaning yeah. the bathtub and getting on the floor to scrub the bat the bat uh, yeah the bathtub or the toilet or scrub the floors and like cinderella like i can't do that right many many times many times a week um so yeah i would need you to help me with certain things and he was like oh but you know some men just don't want that just don't want to cook and it's like if you don't want to, then I guess that's fine. And you'll, you'll just starve in your apartment alone <laughs> if you don't want to do that, right? But to me, it's just the principle of that, right? And yeah, it was basically being like, oh, I feel like that's a little hypocritical if you can't do all the all the 
cleaning, then he can ask a man to know how to cook. And like, you see how yeah, these are like, not even equal. Like, it's, <laughs> like, a, it's, a, it's a huge yeah. problem, but also like, not only won't you do that because it's super misogynist, but also mm-hmm. like you can't because you're exactly. So like, like when you were explaining can't. to this man, like I, I hear what you're saying, but I can't. What was his response? I mean, he was just like, oh, like I understand, I understand. I just think it's you know, it's a little bit funny or whatever. And it's like, again, you're not even understanding what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying like I require a man to cook for me three times a day. I'm but saying, also, why is that a problem? I would be <laughs> like, yes, please. Yeah, you know, yes, if yes. I literally couldn't. But that's not even what I'm asking. What I'm asking is to know that the person I'm dating has tried at some point in their life because they think it's a, you know, it's not something that is extra extraordinary because to know how to cook. it's a skill they have to know because yeah. they, can't, they don't want to rely on someone else. Because, exactly. You know, and I feel yeah. like people think we're like so in the future, but like you would be so surprised to know how many men to this day still think it's a woman's job to do so yeah like it's just it's ridiculous i I totally believe you but it just it boggles my mind and you know what also like as a man who can't cook i can't because of disability Mm -hmm. i would love to be able to go in my kitchen right now get stuff by myself and decide that i want to make myself dinner right right i would love it so like shouldn't they be proud that it's something they can actually do (laughs) yeah it's it's just like, I don't know, like, I think it's it's so bizarre. Um, so yeah, I was kind of, that's why I wrote it on there because I thought it was absolutely so like not logical at all. Um, but also because there's so many people who attach motherhood and uh, just living with somebody with the woman doing most of the domestic work. Um, first of all, not everybody's straight. So no, not everybody's gonna date someone of the, the opposite gender. Uh, that's no. number one. But number two, some women are disabled. Some women just can't do everything in a house. And they can still be mothers and they can still have kids. And they can, yeah. like, I know disabled mothers who, you know, rely a lot on their partners for the, a lot of the childcare and child rearing. And I also know disabled mothers who have, um, you know, who have home care come in and, and they, the mother is still raising the child, but the, the home care person is doing the majority of the heavy lifting. And that's, I would still yeah. say that the disabled mother's doing all doing the work because she is. She hired the person or she got the person in from the government. So great. Like, so I exactly. think there are ways around it. I think people are, but I, you know, the more and more I, I thought about your statement of like, all these things are ableist. I was like, yeah, they really are. Like, what if, what if you can't put on makeup? What if you can't look a certain way? Like yeah. what is, all of the things to get to this idea of what a man wants, you can't do. Exactly. And sometimes it's not even necessarily looks, even though it is an extension of it. But I remember back when I did physio, um, I talked to my physio about it. And um, I told her that a bit before I got my diagnosis, I was going to the gym, which is ridiculous because I hated it. It hurt my body. I was so sore all the time. Sometimes I almost felt like puking because just doing five minutes on the treadmill made me want to throw up. And I told her that and stuff. And she was like, but why the hell were you going to the gym if it made you feel like that? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like people have to go to the gym to be healthy. And like, if you don't go to the gym, you're gross, you know, because that's what I had felt before. Right. Um, You know, I would like go on Tinder and see a guy with like on his bio, like 
looking for a gym partner and stuff like that. And I would look at that and be like, I don't go to the gym. What does that say about me? You know? And it's like, those expectations are so ableist. And I'm not saying like, if you love to go to the gym, go to the gym. And if you like to go to the gym with someone, do that. But I feel like if it's literally such a huge part of your personality, I don't know, maybe revisit your personality, but also like, like I said before, this expectation that everybody should go to the gym and that should be the standard. That's literally so ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's so it's, ridiculous. It's beyond ableist. Like, yeah. trust me, as a gay person that sleeps with gay men, poof, the, the like pressure to go to the gym and have this fit body and it's like a, mm. this amazing physique, which I, and I talk about this constantly. Mm. I will never be able to do that. That will never be a part of my life. Like if you listen to like, any episode of this podcast, I'm sure I talk about it somewhere. Um, but like, it's not something I can do. And so it really upsets me that even for me as a gay man mm-hmm. who can't do any of that, I'm still attracted to those douche bros at the gym. And it's like, <laughs> oh no, like, oh wow. And yeah. so like, it's so pervasive. And so I'm really glad your doctor was like, why are you going there if it hurts you? Like, I'm glad that they yeah. said that to you. Well, yeah. I mean, and she, she was just like, why, like, you were almost throwing up in the locker room and you kept going. And I was like, and I understood how stupid it felt the way that she said it. Right. But I was just, I had nothing to tell her. Right. I was like, I don't yeah. know. Like I, I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to be hot. I yeah. wanted to like do whatever else was doing. And yeah. I and it's, it, it, it sounded so absurd. Right. Because I felt like so bad afterwards, but I felt like I had to go, you know, so badly. And I remember I used to take this, um, PE class in college and at some point I was like that was right before I got my official diagnosis my last semester in college and um I was like okay I'm gonna take like a yoga class or whatever it was like relaxation and stuff I was like that's gonna be fine for me you know because like I can't be running like I can't do that it's it just doesn't work and then spoiler alert I get there and we have to go to the gym once a week in order to pass the class right (laughs) And it's like, and that's a whole nother thing about how there's people who are disabled. They just don't have the resources to go to the doctor and find out exactly. So what do these people do? They hurt their bodies yeah. for three semesters, but that's a, yeah, that's a whole nother, <laughs> other discussion. But yeah, I think those standards are so ableist. Uh, they don't realize how they literally left, left out, um, leave out so many people and then we're kind of just there as disabled people standing outside of the door and being like, hey, like, how am I supposed to get in if you want me to be like that? I can't do that. And it's just like, well, better chance next time. Yeah, or like figure it out. And it's like yeah. that, that, that can't work that way. Now, I, I want to shift your diagnosis a bit because I'm interested to, you've talked a little bit about like the, your diagnosis a little bit. Can you share kind of what that was like? And also I'm curious, when is your doctor a person of color by chance? Uh, no, no. I was hopeful. I was hopeful for you <laughs> no. because, like, but they're they're a woman, yes. Uh, my doctor, my main doctor, no, he's a white man. Um, which, I mean, he's this he's sweet, uh, but he also said things that really proved that he was a white man. Um, <laughs> which was kind of not great. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so yeah, but um, I would say it, it was a long process to get my diagnosis, but um, I'm happy that I have it now because I get to know more about myself and also know better ways how to take care of myself, you know, um, which is very important um, yeah. and not hurt my body the way that I was before. 
And so you mentioned a little bit, you know, getting the diagnosis at 19. Like, I can't imagine getting diagnosed with, with something. So like I remember being 19. I was, I wanted to party all the time. I wanted to do all the things my friends were doing. Yeah. I wanted to get drunk and suck dick all the time. <laughs> and so I can't imagine being given this like life changing like, you had the symptoms since you were 12 but you didn't kind of know what's going on and yeah. to get this like thing at 19 of like this is what you have did it scare you at all like what was your reaction when you got were diagnosed I mean I had felt a lot of the symptoms a little bit before I guess the thing that really really scared me the most was to know that it was progressive and that there is currently no cure for it um and I know that there like for SMA they have worked on some treatments. That new drug, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and, but not for my type. Um, so, and they're very, very specific about who gets to have what type of cure and treatment and everything. And because there are so many subtypes, um, you know, sometimes they're just working on a treatment for one specific type and the 29 others don't get anything. So it's, you know, I'm not, I'm honestly not very, I'm not going to say I'm not hopeful, but I don't think I'm going to see a changing cure in my lifetime personally. Um, so of course that was very, very scary, especially, you know, being 19, um, after, you know, had having to quit school and stuff. Um, and that semester I was kind of like dating somebody that I really, really liked. And, you know, it was kind of this thing of like, oh my God, you know, like I want to live for the moment, but at the same time, how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> Knowing that my life is just gonna change so drastically. Um, but I think one of the things that helped me the most was to you know, follow people on social media that had my illness and to see how they were living, right? Like to see how they were holding on and how they found ways to still be happy and have fulfilling lives and be and feel and be accomplished. Uh, and so, you know, if you're someone with a disability who just got a diagnosis like that, um, just know that you're not alone. Just know that there are so many disabled folks out here who are living great lives, um, who are making a change in other people's lives as well, and who are so meaningful. And you can be that person for yourself or also for the community if that's something that you desire. But also you yeah. can just be happy for yourself. Or, I mean, you can be happy, yes, totally. And I agree with that. And you know, everyone should strive for that. But also if you want to be fucking angry about it, it's oh, that's okay too. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm angry a lot of the time. Like, yeah. so yeah, so many times. And I've made it very clear to say that I'm very angry a lot of the time. Because if we just pretend that everything is fine, then nothing's going to change either. You know, like, yeah. I've, I've literally been rude to people about it. Like, and I have no shame <laughs> <laughs> saying that, you know, like, the building where I live now um, is a wheelchair accessible building, but only on the main floor. Um, and when I learned about this building being built or whatever, I literally told the people at the little stem, like, why is are the wheelchair accessible apartments more expensive than all the other apartments yeah. in the building? Do you think disabled people have more money than other people? Shouldn't they be subsidized? Like what? Yeah. And yeah. she was like, um, hee I don't know, hee Um, we really wanted to make accessible housing and we did. And like, how is it accessible if it's more expensive than all yeah. the other apartments? Yeah, it's not financially accessible. Mm. I can't pay for it. So yeah. And they, she didn't know what to tell, to tell me about it. She was just like, well, we wanted to make them and we made them. And she, that's all she could say, right? And I was just like, I don't know. That seems to make no sense to me. Like, do you see that the prices? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Do, do you see the prices on the little plan here? Do you see how it's 
not equal at all how there's like a 250 dollars extra for those do you see you do okay have a nice day and then i <laughs> <Okay>. left <laughs> and she was just standing there like like a fish out of water but it's like we need to understand that these are real things and all and these that- things go together just because you have accessible and also i live in an accessible apartment okay and if i decided right now that i wanted to go get a glass of water from wherever i am and go in my cupboard and get a thing i couldn't do it because it's not actually accessible because mm-hmm. i'd still have to reach up still have to do all these things that I can't do. So whoever said this is accessible just because I can get my wheelchair in the space doesn't actually make it accessible. Yeah, exactly. Like my unit is not wheelchair accessible like in any way really. Um, the, the door is a little bit wider, I'm pretty sure, but I'm not in a wheelchair so that wouldn't even yeah, be something not- I need. But like good thing for you that I'm not actually in a wheelchair because I would have came here and been like, what am what I, I supposed to do? You know what I mean? And like when I started to talk to them about it and stuff, like they were on the, the phone and they were literally like, so uh, you're, you're disabled, but like how disabled are you? And it's like, this says it's wheelchair accessible. I should at least be able to be in a wheelchair in it, but I literally can't, Yeah. you know? And I told them like, oh, I'm not in a wheelchair. And they're like, oh, okay. Like, oh, what no. is that? What oh, is no. that? It's literally, it's so ridiculous. And it really, really shows you how, like, they try, but they literally do not consult, you know, disability advisors or, you know, people who Or know if they about. do, they consult one guy and they're like, yeah, we did mm-hmm. it. And it's like, no, you need, like, five or six team members and you need to pay At them. Least. Like, you need to pay them all properly and you need to make sure that they, you know, know what they can give you. Because I don't know how to make something accessible for a visually impaired person, but guess mm-hmm. what? A visually impaired person does. And so, like, when, when they say, when people use the term fully accessible, I cringe because I'm like, it isn't, and it's not, and it'll never be. I'm like, that's okay, but I wish you would just say that because yeah. it's not. Like, yeah. So I wanted to quickly ask you before I forget, I wanted to ask you, like, so you, when you got this diagnosis, you had to give up musical theater a little bit, and I know that you said that you, like, really loved musical theater. Yeah. And that was the thing you're in, you, like, you love to do, and so, like, did you feel when you had to when you had to like give that up? Did you feel like robbed of it? Did you feel like that something yeah. you really love went away? I mean, definitely. You know, and I think specifically in the situation where I was, um, I won't you know explain the whole thing because that's kind of a little complicated. But I essentially lost a whole year in that program um, because the first year I failed my dance classes. Um, because I am disabled and there are certain things that my body just can't do. And then I explained that to them and they were like, oh, okay, like makes a lot of sense. Um, Just try again next year and, uh, but have a diagnosis this time. And I was like, okay, sure, I'm going to do that. So next year came around, I gave them my diagnosis and they were like, yeah, actually we like looked out at it and there's nothing we can do. So you're failing and you have to quit and leave. And Uh, I was like, okay, so what? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I was like, but I stayed in there for a whole year thinking it would be fine. And you yeah, guys told it, me it would be fine. If, and I like, gave yeah, you like, the di- if I gave you the thing you asked me for, you would accommodate me. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, but like we just did the research like last week and there was nothing we can do. And I was like, well, couldn't you have done the research earlier? And they were like, yeah, just we, it just, you know. And then I had to quit. Um, and it was wow, like, they made you quit because they wouldn't, they chose not to accommodate. Yeah, they were basically like, oh, we figured it out. And like, you can't 
do you, you, we can't accommodate you because your dance classes are like what the in Quebec what they call um, practical classes. So you have like uh, theory classes. So that would be like French or English or Spanish or um, you know even science. But practical classes such as dance, like classes that you need to use your body for, quote unquote, they can't accommodate anything on that. Of course, I didn't know that because I'm not a you know, college teacher, and I don't know how these things work. I just trust the people who are and who are supposed to give me the resources and make it possible for me. And if it's not possible for me, then tell me from the start, don't lie to me for a whole year and then make me lose money and time and resources for no reason. Um, So yeah, it, it was definitely really, really difficult to have to go through that. But I did musical theater on the side as well, um, like outside of school, which felt so great. Um, and, you know, now doing burlesque, it feels so, so liberating too, because I get to, first of all, work on my own terms, but also like create acts and performances that are good for my body and that I can do. And I have no teacher yelling at me, telling me that I need to jump higher or that I have to be more flexible or whatever, because I get to make my own choreographies and I get to do everything. And just I get to be creative which when you are um in other types of arts you know like theater for example um you have to follow a script you have to follow like uh, a director and stuff like that so of course you get to be artistic but unless you're like writing your own stuff you have to follow someone else's order um but in that case I get to do everything on my own so that feels so much more liberating that's so, I mean that's so awesome and that's so great and I, I, and I know and as we've seen throughout this pandemic you can do theater on zoom you can I mean it's not the same and it's not as interactive as before but it is possible and like you you can definitely be creative now the last question that I wrote down I'm gonna abandon because you kind of mentioned it already so I want to just go to another question that we talked about before we hit record so you mentioned to me at the beginning that you loved my my hashtag disabled yes and I would love for you to tell me kind of what the hashtag means to you and why and why you love it I mean I think it's so, so important, um, specifically because I've become so passionate as I grew older um, about, I mean, specifically uh, nightlife accessibility. I wrote a whole um, paper about it and how um, nightclubs and bars in Montreal are so horribly inaccessible and how I feel like a lot of the reasons why they're not accessible is because people literally don't believe that disabled people belong in clubs and in nightclubs because they're sexualized spaces. Um, For example, I've called to a gay bar that is very popular in Montreal because I've never been before. And I asked them if there was an elevator in that club because I know that there's there are four levels to it. And the person that I talked to on the phone literally laughed in my face. Oh, no. They thought it was so ridiculous that there would be an elevator in in a club. Right. And of course, that came from feeling like, why is it needed? Who needs an elevator and goes to the club? Nobody period, you know? Um, And so the thing about your hashtag that really resonated with me was related to this idea, right? That disabled people and disabled bodies don't belong in sexualized spaces or even in in a sexualized thought, right? And the idea that disabled people being hot just cannot exist. Those two things shouldn't go together. And that's part of why I created it because I was like, I know that you think these things don't go together and it's really simple. And it was like a really simple thing I did. And it was so weird. The next day, like magazines from France were calling me being like, can we interview you about your hashtag? And I was like, this is so weird. So, but like it, 
I did it because I wanted people to see that it's possible. And the amount of responses I got from people all over the world with pictures of themselves feeling hot was really something that I, and I'm so glad that it resonated with you. And like, I'm so happy that it, it gave you something to draw from. And like, I, I also want to read that paper because we need more academic shit like that out there. That's, that's... I'll send it to you. Awesome. Yeah, please. I'd love to read it. Uh, this was such an amazing interview. I love sitting down with you and thank you for being so, thank you for just sharing all your stuff. I love hearing from people's stories and be, and thank you for, telling all the ableists out there in Montreal that they can go fuck themselves, basically. And yeah. the, the gross men that don't know how to make a sandwich. <laughs> um, definitely, definitely. But I want to let the people know how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow you. How do they do that? Sure. Uh, so on Instagram, my at is at Lonely Alley, Alley, A-L-L-I-E. Um, you can also follow my blog. Well, not technically follow it, but, you know, just make sure that you never miss anything from me on there and it, my blog is at lonely alley as well um on vocal.media this is where i post all of my stuff uh i re- recently posted a an academic pa- paper on hyper the hypersexualization of black women in films uh starting from uh the first ever interracial porn clip ever made the hypnotist and in comparison with the with the 24 24 2014 uh, movie that came out as well. So yeah, I think this is a really great thing. And I talk about a bunch of stuff. Not all my stuff is like super academic though. So yeah, I think there's something for everybody on there. Yeah, and I'll make sure all that's linked in the show notes. And I just love what you're doing. And I and thank you so much for wanting to come on my little show and talk about all your stuff. I really, I you know, people listen. And I think we need more Black disabled voices talking about stuff. And I'm glad you got to be one. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for your time. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, that was another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, a part of the Wheels on the Ground network. I'm really, really happy you came to this one. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.drewgerza.com and you can follow me on all my socials at, at drewgerza. So Instagram and Twitter at Drew Gerza. You can also follow the podcast at DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Remember, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about why you want to be on the show, and we'd love to have you. The show is, again, no longer just a sex and disability podcast. We want to talk to you about everything. So drop us a line. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more to keep a bright light shining on these stories. I'm your host, Drew Gerza, your disabled daddy. Thank you so much for listening to this Wheels on the Ground production, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye! Copyright Notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021.